0: How's everyone doing? My, like I, Kurt said, my name's Jerry and I'm going to share my testimony, my story with you today. And I guess before I get into my story, I, I just want to share, there's just been three major themes that have run through my life and I think they're pretty common. Um, love and acceptance, identity and purpose. I think if you're human, you crave these things or you seek these things and I'm no different from you and and that's what I've sought all my life. Um, but as you'll hear, um, I hit some obstacles, some roadblocks on that journey. I also want to put three scriptures before you that have really come alive in my life. And hopefully as I share my story, you'll begin to see how these scriptures have really come alive to me. It's Jeremiah 29:11, which talks about how God has plans for us plans for hope not to harm us, plans for a future, um, and to prosper us. And Revelation 21.5, that Jesus says, he makes all things new. And again, you'll see that it's very real. These scriptures have come alive. And the last one is um Galatians 6.15. And this is where Paul says, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not, which Really just means it doesn't matter how much religious activity we do. Uh, he says this. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And, and again, this is very real to me. Um, you'll see that, you know, after I, I be, got to know Jesus, my passion was to become this new creation that we all are in Christ if you're a Christian. Um, and so to give you a little bit of a background, you hear my accent, I'm American. Uh, I'm, I'm realizing the American accent is so different from the Australian accent because I have really hard consonants, right? I'm it, Just anyway, but you also see that I'm Chinese, so I'm American-born Chinese, and one of the, the big issues in my life, I, I talked about identity, was I had an identity crisis very early on growing up. If you know anything about the Asian culture, Chinese culture, it's very duty oriented and there's not a lot of love and affection being expressed in the home, right? My my parents showed that they loved me by taking care of me, by doing stuff and providing for us, but I tell you that the first time I heard my parents tell me that they loved me uh, was when I was 15 years old and they put me in a drug rehab. Institution and the counselor actually forced them to tell me that they love me right and you know when I was growing up You know that bothered me so much because I grew up in America and American culture is very very expressive I went to my friends homes and and I'd hear their parents say oh I love you and hug them and kiss them and but when I went home it never happened you know and um that was a big struggle for me this this idea of experiencing love and acceptance and even even in the home. Um and I used to blame my parents un- unjustifiedly, I guess I would say cuz you know when I'm growing up that's all I knew that's all I wanted. I expected my parents to be American parents. Now that I've grown up and I've grown a lot wiser I've come to realize that I was demanding something from my parents that they could never give me my parents were traditional chinese parents and that's how they were raised they're not american parents and but i didn't know that so imagine growing up you know longing for that and and to to add further confusion to my identity is you know i grew up uh in america i was born 1969 and so a lot of people say i don't look this old but i am i'm 46 years old and so I grew up in the 70s in America. And, and in the 70s in America, if you know anything about the history, there's a lot of racial turmoil, right? And so I grew up in that, in that, uh, era. And so I got bullied. I got picked on. I got beat up for, for being Chinese. And, and that created a lot, even more confusion and a lot of anger in me because it's one thing to get picked on because of your hair, because of the way you dress, even the way you talk, or the way you look, but you know, uh, the way you dress, things that you can change. But I got picked on because of the way my face looked. And you can't change that. And so that actually made me become very ashamed to be Chinese, and and, and so I began to, to, to try to become more American, to, to be loved and accepted by my peers. And, and something that I've learned over the years after Jesus has saved me is that he created me to be bicultural, to be American and Chinese. And, and I'm, I'm fast forwarding way ahead, but he's shown me how wonderful, you know, there's good things about the Chinese culture and there's good things about the American culture and, and how and Jesus showed me the drug, the good out of both, and really celebrate being bicultural. But growing up, I couldn't grasp that, you know. I just wanted to be fit in and, you know, being bullied, you know, starting when I was six years old, I mean, getting beat up, getting teased. They used to sing songs about us, really, you know, hurtful, mean songs about us. And, and so that created a lot of fear, a lot of pain in my heart very early. And so... Uh, when I was about eight years old, I just started lying. Just lying because I had so much pain and I just wanted to, I didn't know how to, how to express or even cope with that pain. So lying was something that I could do that was just mischievous, that was, you know, just hurtful back in a sense. Um, I started stealing when I was about 10 years old. That was another way. You know, I had so much pain and anger just growing and growing in my heart. And so I would just go. I would shoplift from the store. I'd go to people's homes, my parents' house. I'd, I'd go right to the bedroom, and I'd look through the drawers and just steal stuff. You know, I didn't need it, but it was just my way of getting back at all the kids that picked on me. It didn't matter who I was getting back at. Uh, I had two older brothers, and... You know, they had friends that, you know, they're, they're, uh, they they uh, that would go over and they watched, uh, back then they had VHS, you know, pornography movies. And, uh, they had a friend whose mom actually rented them for her son. And he's like 16, uh, 16 and 15 years old. And they would, I would tag along. I'm like 11 years old, right? And I tag along and I got exposed to it, you know, and, and I tell you, I look at this generation now that, has this exposure to pornography, and I tell you, it 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 wreaked havoc in my understanding of what love really was and affection, because I was already longing for that, and then here I I get exposed to something that's such a distortion of what that is, and and so here I'm trying to feed myself, right, get satisfied on 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 love and understanding it, because. No one taught me these things. I didn't have any... My father didn't sit me down. You know, my, my parents are, again, very Chinese. I don't blame them at all. That's just the way they were, but they, they were not relational parents, right? They're very authoritarian parents, and that's usually what... Um, Asian families are just very authoritarian. You know, you do right and wrong. You learn right and wrong because when you do wrong, then they correct you and teach you what's right. You know, they're not proactive in telling you, you know, what is, what is right and what is wrong. And then when I, when I hit 12, uh, started getting arrested, you know, for shoplifting. So, I mean, I understand this now. Um, but I brought great shame to my family, you know. Asian culture is very collective and Western cultures are very individualistic. And again, I was just trying to be more American, individualized. And, and, and now I know just, I can't imagine how much pain and shame I must have brought to my parents having to pick me up from the department store, having to pick me up, um, from the police station for being shop, for shoplifting. And then, when I hit 14, I found drugs, and I found the answer to all of my pain that was in my heart, and I was longing to uh, be loved and accepted. And and you know what? The funny thing is, people who do drugs, they will love and accept you if you do drugs with them. I didn't have to, I could stop trying to be accepted, and that was it. That was the hook. The pain and the, the acceptance. And, and from there, my, my drug use, my addiction, that lifestyle just grew. It really grew. You know, people ask me, you know, so, so, so what kind of drugs have you done? And I don't share this to, to boast about this in any way. Please hear my heart. It's just to let you know how hopeless My life really was. So I started smoking weed when I was, uh, uh, 14 and started doing, uh, LSD and mushrooms and, uh, I'll just say those if you know those. If you don't, then you can Google them later and, and see, (laughs) you know, and from there, uh, you know, when I, when I hit 18, I discovered cocaine and, and that was, that hooked me. I stopped smoking weed and, um, and just focused on doing cocaine. And I started selling cocaine to support my habit. I went to an art school. I was in a punk rock band because uh, it just expressed the anger I held in my heart. And I could just be wild. Um, my poor parents, my poor parents, I just think back and I, st- I still think back. I don't even know how they survived except for God's grace upon our family's life and And so for the next 15 years, so Jesus came into my life uh, around 30 years old, 30, 31. And so during that time, if it was a drug, I did it. If uh, I I tried it, and if I liked it, I sold it because I needed to support my habit. I was, my drug addiction was all I knew. All I knew. I've been to drug rehabs, you know, I've been sober for a month, three months at a time, but always that cycle of addiction coming back. Um, You know, I got into ecstasy, got into ice. I used to ice from, from cocaine, you know, I went to ice and I would stay up for five days at a time smoking ice, just, you know going crazy. Ice makes you crazy. It makes you psychotic. Um, I ended up uh, thinking someone was coming into my house trying to kill me. And so I called, uh, I guess it's triple zero here, but 911. And I'm calling the police. It's raining out. I just have shorts on. And I said, someone's coming in the house to kill me. And I start running down the street barefoot in the rain, and I see it, and they set like 10 cop cars, right? And I'm flagging down cop cars, and they just think I'm crazy. You know, the paramedics come, they strap me down. I was on a psych ward, three days, you know? I finally came down off all of the ice, and the doctor's like, oh, so you're just really high. And they released me after three days, right? Because, you know, but I, I think of that as a turning point in my life. You know, in many ways, Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days, and I was on a psych ward for three days. And, and after that, I ended up going to this uh, Christian program called Teen Challenge, right, which was really pivotal for me. But in the midst of all of that, um, uh, I got saved, you know. Uh, the way God showed up to me was, the best I can explain it is that Jesus' kingdom of light broke into the darkness of my life. And, the, the, and there's a scripture passage that really says, 1 Peter 2.9 says, you know, God called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And that was just so real for me. And the best way I can describe it is I was hiding in a dark room, right? And when you bring a, a lamp, a light, into a dark room, it does two things. One, it begins to reveal what's hiding in the darkness. And when God's light came into my life, I wasn't asking for this. Um, I began to have all of these supernatural, spiritual experiences. I began to hear voices. I began to see demons and angels. I began to see this cosmic warfare over my life. And I tell you, people ask me when I I share my story, were you high? And this is, I say, yes. But there were times that I saw him when I was sober. And the only way I can explain this is this. The kingdom of God, by the grace of God, became my reality. It didn't matter if I was high or sober. It was still happening because God was showing me there's something more than me. And, but during this time, I tell you, I would have never have gone to God because of my drug addiction. Uh, I was so hopelessly addicted and I had given up on life so early on. And the addiction just reinforced that. And, and so, you know, my target age, you know how, what, you know, people say, oh, what do you want to do with your life? And I would tell people, I don't know, I'll be happy if I hit 30 and just have a heart attack and just die. That was my target age, 30 years old. I had no dreams. That was it. I just wanted to have a good time all of the time. And, you know, I took risks, you you name it. I, I still can't believe I'm alive. And God showed me that until, unless he intervened in my life, there was a moment that I should have been dead. You know, I was doing a drug deal. Three kilos of cocaine it was for about sixty-nine thousand US dollars, right? And and doing this drug deal and and unless God intervened, I would have been shocked because I got robbed for that money. I'm trying to buy it, and I got robbed. And and if you know the drug world at all, you know, to come in, they came in with bandanas, with guns, and you name it, you know, that's a new life for somebody to get out of that you know, but I was alive, and so I ended up, I have connections, and I ended up getting most of the money back, you know, and so again, again, I won't go into the details here, but it's really by the grace of God that I'm alive, and I remind myself that all the time, because something I've realized is, is my life right now is bonus time, it's bonus time, you know? You see, I have a wife. I have a beautiful daughter. That's that's bonus time, you know? I've been saved 15 years now, right? And 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 again, I just think back. I was shooting for 30, but God had other plans. And And it's so funny. I think God has a sense of humor because he came into my life in the midst of all that and saved me, right, when I was 30. And that's what I love about the gospel. The gospel isn't about making bad people good. It's not making immoral people moral. It's making dead people alive. Yeah? And, and that's what Jesus did. I, I was shooting to die at 30, and in many ways, I did die at 30, and I got a new life, right, through Jesus, and and it's so amazing. You know, my conversion moment was, uh, um, like I said, I wouldn't have gone to Jesus uh, because of my drug addiction, because like, I was just set on it. But in the midst of all this, I began hearing these voices, you know, and these spirits talking with me, and and I and all through my life, I, I I believed in vampires, I believed in UFOs, I believed in aliens, you know, I I just believed all sorts of stuff. I believed in crystals, New Age stuff, and uh, and so. <laughs> You'd be, you'd imagine what kind of evil spirits and curses are surrounding me, my life in that darkness. And, and so during this time, I began to hear voices, demons and angels and stuff like that. And you could tell me, ask me about that later, but these voices began to tell me to do stuff. And it wasn't that I was purposely practicing witchcraft purposely you know doing these things i was just doing these these voices and and i I'd, I'd project my 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 astro projection they call it and i'd be able to see into other people's homes i i could read people's thoughts and i'd go up to them at parties and I'd go hey you're thinking that right they go whoa how do you know that you know and and so here i am getting into all of this demonic stuff not thinking it was demonic right these voices are very helpful and, you know, you know, but the Bible also says that the devil masquerades himself as an angel of light. And, and so here I am, you know, I have no background, no understanding of all this stuff. And and so, but there was a day, a turning point. I think it's, again, the grace of God where I I'd, I'd sit and I would go into trances, you know, to do this stuff. And there was a day I went into a trance I went, I picked up a knife and and tried to slit my wrist, and I couldn't control myself. And in that moment, it all turned evil, right? I mean, that's what it was. And and, and in that moment, I knew I was in over my head, and I needed something, someone to save me. And so I knew my brother was a Christian. He's the first Christian in our family. Uh, I would say I'm the second one. And uh, um, and I said, you know, Jimmy... (laughs) I started telling him all of this crazy stuff happening in my life. And I never really told anyone this because I just thought people would think I'm insane. You know, when I first started seeing angels, they were like these beings of light with eyes. And they'd like peer around corners and I'd see them. And, and I thought they were aliens following me, <laughs> you know, because that's what my worldview was. And so I started telling him all this stuff. And he didn't know. He's like, just your your. your 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 basic evangelical Christian, you know, he's not a Pentecostal charismatic, you know, and so he's just like, oh, that's interesting, Jerry. Let me give you a number to the a pastor friend of mine, and so I, I was desperate. I called him, and and you know what? God used him to prophetically speak into my life. He and he was a, a he's a vineyard guy, you know, he's a third wave church kind of guy, and and uh, and so I met with him like the next day. And I began telling him all this stuff. And he was just lovingly began to give me a biblical framework. He goes, Jerry, those lighted beings and those dark, shadowy, smelly figures and those grotesque things you're seeing, those are angels and demons, right? And began to explain the gospel to me. And, and I remember him saying, you know, Jerry, Jesus wants to do something amazing with your life. And when I heard that, I was just like, this is my exact thought. I was like, I don't even want to live my life anymore, you know? If Jesus wants my life, he can have it. If he can do something with it, because I'm tired of living it. And so I gave my life to Jesus that day, and there was something really supernatural happened. You know, it was a very emotional time, and I remember praying, and, and they laid hands on me and prayed and for the filling of the Holy Spirit, and I remember just opening my eyes, and we're in the basement of this church, and I just saw through the ceiling, smoke or clouds just come rushing into me, right? And I feel like God just showed me the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit coming into me. And, and I tell you, miracle happened that day. I would say two miracles happened that day. Um, one, drug addiction gone. Amazing. You gotta you got understand what I was going through for 15 years, I either thought about doing drugs, or I did drugs, or I was conniving in some way to, to do something. My whole life surrounded. And so every desire in me, every thought was towards drugs. And in that moment, that was gone. I re- literally felt like, boy, I don't think I even want to smoke cigarettes anymore, right? But I still did. But God t- eventually took that from me. But you know, and then another thing happened. The peace of God came upon me. I, it, it's so amazing, you know, and maybe a third miracle, as I just think. All my life, if you hear my life, I hope what you see is that I was so lonely, longing to be part of something. And in that moment, I didn't feel alone anymore. I think maybe that's why God showed me the Holy Spirit, to show me that I'm not alone. I'll never be alone. And, and the voice of the Holy Spirit has been so loud in my life because I think it's just the grace of God because all of my thoughts before that moment were just hopeless thoughts. But then a new, new thoughts began to come into my mind. Thoughts of hope, thoughts of love, thoughts of purpose. And I was like, I don't think these things. Right. And so for me, it was just really, Easy to begin to go, okay, those must be God's thoughts. You know, that really helped train me to zero in on His, on, on God's thoughts and His voice in my life. And, you know, there's something that I, I carried a lot of, so, so that happened and, and you think, great, Jerry, smooth sailing from here on out, right? No way. No way. The first few years of getting saved were, horrible. I mean, they were like, because I, 15 years, I am, my thinking is so crazy, so negative. You know, my behavior, I had sinful habits, right? I became a Christian and, you know, theologically, right, my sin nature was gone, right? But my body still had a lot of sinful habits that it was used to doing, a lot of behaviors, a lot of thoughts. I had so much pain in my heart that God needed to heal. And so God gave me the spirit, gave me his peace, took away my desire for drugs so that he could begin working in all the areas within my soul that needed, that drove me to drugs in the first place. And so my brokenness needed healing. My weakness needed strengthening. My will needed humbling. My mind needed renewing. And my character needed building. I remember a revelation that the Holy Spirit spoke to me right when I got saved. Started going to church and and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you see that 15-year-old over there, Jerry? He has more character than you. Imagine, anything goes, drug dealer. Whenever I thought about making money, most of us think, oh, I got to get a part-time job. I thought, what can I sell? What kind of drugs can I sell right now? Right? That's how far I was, and I would do anything. You know, God also revealed to me that, you know, what was upon my life as a drug dealer was a destroyer spirit. You know, I've come to terms with the guilt and the shame of being a drug dealer and all the lives I've destroyed and... You know, something that I struggle with when I first uh, got saved was survivor's guilt. I used to tell God, why me? Why me? I, have, I, have, I still have friends addicted to drugs. I still have uh, friends dying. My cousin died of a heroin overdose. And I asked God, why me? You know, and that was a big obstacle in my journey of faith because... I just kept questioning, why me, why me? And I think God is just patient and graceful with me. And he just says prayer. You know, after I got saved, I I went to my brother's church. And I remember, oh, you're Jimmy's brother. And, And they'd say to me, I've been praying for you for like... Still gets me. Five years. I've been praying for you for like 10 years. Oh, I remember we, we fasted and prayed a weekend at a, at a men's retreat for you. And so it's just prayer, you know, and a couple of things about that. I just, uh, and that helped me to realize the place of prayer. And, and the Holy Spirit continue to reinforce you. And I, pray, I hope this encourages you. And part of something that I, I love to do, you know, people love to inter, intercession prayer within the church. And I, I enjoy that. But for me, I have to be on the street. And so there was a day where I'm driving and, you know, I'm sitting at a, a, at a red light and, and this, this this person's walking across crosswalk and i remember the holy spirit saying to me pray for that pray for that person because no one has ever prayed for her her name or her image has never never been brought across the throne of god's grace and i remember that just fired me up you know to begin praying for people standing in line at the grocery store thinking,
1: man, prayer is so important. We we covet it so much. But there are so many people out there that I've never, never been prayed for. And I know the only reason I'm here is because of prayer. You know, and part of this is, um, I started this, um, 420 prayer movement just was birthed out of out of this because i'm just tired tired of hearing people struggling with drug addiction and just destroying families dying going in prison life lives their life wasted you know and, and again it's just Prayer is such an amazing amazing thing i don't know where to go right now thanks,
0: thanks. but i tell you it's been it's been it's been a knockdown drag out fight you know to to get where where I am today. And I, I love that that scripture verse. It, it's not me. It's the grace of God working in me. You know, uh, a verse that is very meaningful to me. It comes from 1 Corinthians uh, 1, like 27, I think 29 to 31, right over there, where it says, you know, God uses the foolish things, right, the shame, the proud, the things that are not, uh, the weak things of this world, so that no one may boast and 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 that's my story, you know. I was of those foolish things, those weak things, those despised things of the world, and and God is just showing me such grace and goodness, and you know, and just really showing the world what what He can do. And and I tell you, if He can do it with me, He can do it with anybody. You know, like I said, I I'm nobody special. There's nothing special about me, you know, and. because the grace of God is, is here for all of us, all of us. And I don't know if people are here who are struggling with stuff. I mean, as Christians, we all struggle, yeah? And something that, I don't know, uh, I've heard uh, this author, uh, Gerald May, he writes this book called Addictions grace, and Grace, and, and in that book he, he wrote about how and, and I don't think it's just addictions, you know. It's any space in your soul that, that you know, has influence as an idol or whatever it is, you know. And I like to think of my soul like a hundred percent, right? And for me, I would say drug addiction, that lifestyle, took up about conservatively seventy-five percent of my soul, right? And 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 I think that the blessing out of God bringing me to that desperate moment was when i gave my life to jesus it was at 75% cuz you know we say we oh, god take it all but it's not always true right <laughs> right and so but for me you know i could safely say 75% cuz again i was done you know and 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 when i asked god into my life his grace got to fill up 75% of my soul you know and I just put that to you to really think about and, and maybe pray about and ask the Lord, whatever area in your soul that, that, that you're still holding on to or that has control over you, any kind of addiction, any, any sort of thing, that's an opportunity for the grace of God to really come and fill. And you can begin to really experience the grace. You know, something, let me just fast forward a little bit because I, you know, after God saved me, I began to serve in the church, and, you know, God said, okay, I wanted to start a, a computer business in in, in America, because I was like, okay, now that I can become a productive member of society, right, I'm going to make tons of money, right, and I'll just give money to, to you, God, and God said, nah, nah. He began to shut all the doors and, and opened a way for me to serve in the church and show me that you know, I loved serving, and he opened a way for me to go to Bible college. I got a master's in divinity, and then I got a uh, a master's in counseling ministries. And again, I don't do this to boast on me; it's just God. You know, remember remember me. You know, this is how I used to tell God all of the time, all through the six years I was in, in Bible in college and, and getting these degrees. I used to remind, oh, God, don't you you sure you sure about all this? Don't you remember I'm that drug addict? I'm that drug dealer? you know, and God just would bring people into my life and say, hey, I just really feel like you should be a pastor, uh, you know, and God's so faithful. He, he brought people to, to remind me, you know, and that, that it wasn't just my, my kooky, crazy idea, right? But it was God's calling on my life. And, and since then, you know, I, I've served in churches. God began speaking to me and saying, you know, Jerry, you're a missionary first, pastor second, you know, and I remember a moment where God, I was praying with God and just alone, and I remember the Holy Spirit say, ask the Father for the nations, you know, I've never prayed that before, I've never prayed that, and and so I was like, okay, God give me the nations, and the next thing you know, God sends me to Tanzania, he sends me to Canada, he sends me to the Dominican Republic, sends me to Taiwan, sends me to Nepal, right? Sends me here to Australia. And so be careful what you pray and ask God for, right?
1: Just just hopefully you'll get it, right? You will, even if you don't want
0: it. And, um, (laughs) but, you know, through all of this, God showed me that I love people. You know, part of my journey was uh I carried a lot of shame and guilt in, in my life. And so I, when I first went to church, I'd go to church and I'd see people. Wow, they got it all together. <laughs> I know, right, we know better now. But I used to think, wow, I'm this, like, hot mess. I got this just, I'm just all over the place, you know, and... You know, and, and that actually drove me away from the church for a little bit. You know, but God did a work in my heart and set me free from shame and guilt and, and, and the, God has a sense of humor. He sent me back to the same church I was feeling at. And it was okay <laughs> when I went back. You know, and I just, I just maybe encourage you to, sometimes we feel these things and we project them onto other people when it's actually just our stuff. You know, and I encourage you, if there's one thing that, you get from my story is that, like I said, God has a plan for you. He makes all things new, and and you are becoming this new creation, right? But it, it takes just saying yes to Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's not about, okay, God, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? It's just saying, all right, Jesus, I'm here. I'll share this last thing and just... uh this is a revelation that it's just, it's fresh, you know, not, not too fresh, but in the, in the last, last year or so, you know, it's something that I knew. Um, but I, I was listening to this sermon and, and the guy was saying, you know, in the midst of struggle, right? Sometimes we feel like, okay, I just, you know, I gotta just, I, I gotta resist. I gotta do better. And, and this image, uh, that this preacher gave has helped me so much. Instead of just trying to do better, do harder, and this is the scary bit, because sometimes we feel like if we just relax, let go, it's just the, that temptation, that sin is just going to overcome us. and And so that was where I was at for a while. And and then this image came, and I think you guys, of all people, would enjoy this. Vineyard Church, I love it. Uh, he said, just imagine yourself in the midst of that struggle. Instead of gripping your hands, just relax and imagine yourself falling back into an ocean, into a, 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 a lake of God's grace, and just rest there right? That's exactly the opposite what the world teaches us, you know? But it's that scary bit. And so for me, it's just that envisioning in my mind's eye, this falling back into the lake of God's grace and resting and allowing the Holy Spirit, right? To, to just soak in Him. And I, I just, I share that with you. It's just as just as a last thing. And I hope you're encouraged, I hope, again, you see that nothing is impossible with God. And it is all about the grace of God. It's not about trying harder, right? I love saying that now, that's my new, maybe Kurt has influenced me, but I used to say, harder, it's, you can't try harder. But I love the Australian, harder, yeah, I'm getting it right, harder, don't try harder. <laughs> Australia's rubbing off on me. It's a good thing. But yeah, it's not about trying harder, but about pressing into the grace of God. And something I always meditated on, always meditate on is the grace of God on my life. Because the more I meditate on the grace of God, the more thankful I am. Always. Always. And thanks for letting me share today because it's been a while since I've shared. but it's, it's really, it's good for me because it reminds me, again, I'm living on bonus time. You know? Bonus time. I love it. I love it. Can I just pray and, yeah? Yeah. 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 If that's for me, if that's for the Lord, you gotta do better. Yeah? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Father, I'm just thankful, God, for this opportunity to t- today. And Holy Spirit, I just pray, Lord, that the things of of Your kingdom, the things of Your Spirit, the things of Your Word, that got spoken today, that Holy Spirit, You would You would put it into the good soil of of hearts and and begin to marinate that seed and and begin to grow it in people's hearts. And I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that You'd seal up uh, that seed and. And the hope and the, uh, the encouragement, God, and the faith that got released today into people, Lord, that you'd protect that, Lord, and begin to grow it for your glory. In Jesus' name,
2: amen. Amen. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry, I'm just going to get you just to stay there because I'm going to get you to help me in a minute. Um, there was something that obviously was just wonderfully real about Jesus and his relationship with Jerry and Jerry is just as real in response to the reality of Jesus and we want to say thank you for just sharing your story today mate it's incredibly edifying and uplifting incredibly so one thing you said that really was just like bang just like snuck in behind the goalie was that you said this saying something to the effect of you said it's not about making immoral people moral or or bad people good. It's about taking dead people and making them come alive. And as you said that, I just felt like the Holy Spirit just ushered into the room in that moment when you said that and began ministering to parts of us that feel like we're dead. And then you went on to start to talk about the whole of your soul being filled with the love and the life of God. And I think God's on that this morning and so I I thought maybe we could just take a moment and invite people who are just, part of them just feels dead and they're just aching that somehow they'd come alive again in that space in them. If that's you this morning, you could hear the Holy Spirit when Jerry was speaking and it was like he was tapping on that part of you that's died and God wants to bring you alive again could you just like where you are maybe just stand up where you are because we want to just agree with the work of God this morning in this room just felt like a it's parts of you that have died okay Holy Spirit just thank you for what you're doing in this room right now and in in our lives, all of our lives, but particularly for our friends and our family right now who are just acknowledging in the presence of your kindness and grace that, Lord, I feel a little dead in this part of my life. I feel like I've died in there. Holy Spirit, would you just release the life of Jesus to those very parts in people's lives right now? Even as like when Jerry described that picture of like this, that billow of smoke came and filled and filled and filled him. Your presence, Lord, would you just fill those parts of us right now? Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you. We welcome you. Thank you that in this moment there is no shame. None. We're abandoning ourselves to your love and grace in this minute. Come with more, Holy Spirit. Come with more. Thank you, Holy Spirit.